0: Thank you. Well, as has already been said, that will be the, uh, the better sermon that you hear this morning, what we heard from our brother, Pastor James. It's good to see you on this Mother's Day here on this December day in Goldsboro. A little bit unusual, but I will take it. I will take it. Uh, There was an article that appeared uh, recently by a good brother named Brian Tabb, and uh, the article was entitled this, The Bible Book We Need Right Now, How Revelation Gives Wisdom and Hope in Difficult Days. The Bible Book We Need Right Now. It's by Brian Tabb. And so James has already obviously alluded to the very interesting um, week that we had in the news last week that certainly calls us to prayer. And so with our Bibles open, and just in case you're not already there, Revelation chapter 20, let's do just that. Let's pray first and then read the Word of God together. I'll also mention uh, that we should pray for... Obviously, many family matters. Let's pray for our brother Thurston Greenwood to get over sickness as well. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for a great day, Mother's Day. We're also mindful, uh, as James shared about his own mother three years ago, we're mindful that this day can be a mixed bag for many, whether that be because of um, you have allowed uh, a couple not to have children not to be a mother in the way we typically think of a mother, um, Lord, or because of of death, because of great sadness. We also know there is, again, there is a mix of perhaps sadness and great joy. We, We remember that our main focus above all and in all is to worship you, so that may you help us with that today. We do pray for family needs as a church family. We pray for those who are sick, that you would give them a speedy healing. Help us, Lord, now as we open your word, we pray that you would open it to us. Help us to keep the main things as the main things. And we know that the main thing is, oh God, your glory through Jesus Christ. And so we do pray, may Jesus Christ be praised we thank you for the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for sinners. We thank you as we think about this book of Revelation for what's called the book of life, the book of life of the lamb who was slain. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, if if we're mothers or whoever we are, we praise you for the lamb who was slain and for your grace. Lord, capture us by your grace. We know that your grace does not ever leave us in the gutter of our sin, but you transform us to the likeness of Christ. And so help us this day. We pray for our country. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon our president, upon our leaders. Do not deal with us according as our sins most surely deserve But have mercy on us and turn the hearts, first of all, of your people back to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are physically able, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word this morning? And pay close attention here. Verse 1 of Revelation chapter 20. John is the human author, and he writes in Revelation 21, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released. He he must be, I think that's significant, released for a little while. And then in verse 4, John says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus And for the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed or blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection, uh, by the way, you have these, uh, these beatitudes in the book of Revelation. These, you know, like in Matthew 5, blessed are the pure in heart. You've got those in Revelation as well. This is one of those. Blessed and holy, verse 6, is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Thank you. Well, it is Mother's Day 2022, and that can mean only one thing, that we continue with our regularly scheduled sermon series, (laughs) which is actually not always the case on Mother's Day, but sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. I'm excited to look with you at this passage today at... uh, the thousand years. That's the heading in my Bible over verses 1 through 6. We want to broaden our horizon a little bit this morning. But especially, especially note verses 1 through 6. The modern song, and I am, in whatever form it takes, I'm really uh, grateful for a world in which God created beauty. I I say that this passage that we're looking at this morning is first and foremost beautiful. Before it's, what does that mean? And what does that mean? First and foremost, I think it's beautiful. And I'm thankful for beauty, to live in a world of beauty, even though we live in a a fallen world. So there's a modern song that says, I have died every day waiting for you. Sappy, Mother's Day, I don't know. Darling, don't be afraid. I have loved you for a thousand years. I'll love you for a thousand more. Repeat, I have died every day waiting for you. Darling, don't be afraid. I have loved you for a thousand years. I'll love you for a thousand more. It's a pretty song, actually. What is it about thousand? There's a song that's a good bit older that's also a love song. It says, of course, I would walk 500 miles and and I would walk 500 more just to be the man who walked a thousand miles to fall down at your door. And I'm tempted to break out into that right now. um, (laughs) So it's a good one. But I won't. But we see this this morning, and I want to look with you at this thousand years because I think it's beautiful. Uh, From the the Latin, we get in English, in English we get the word millennium, and that that comes from a couple of words in Latin, but it just means a period of time of a thousand years. Well, first things first this morning, first things first, number one, the devil was thrown into the lake of fire. Number one, uh, the devil was thrown into the lake of fire. Emphasis in that phrase on the word thrown. This is baseball season. I just got a new glove from Walmart so I can toss with my boys. Emphasis, the devil was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I said we want to broaden just a little bit. Look at verse 10. Revelation chapter 20. Look at verse 10. And God's Word has a lot for us today. Let's see what He says to us in the power of the Holy Spirit through His Word. Revelation 20.10, And the devil who had deceived them, you see it there, was thrown into the lake of fire. But we don't know the context, and so would you notice the context with me in verse 7. Let's get a running start. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. You see it there at the end of verse 9, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. We've jumped right in uh, this morning. Let me just pull back a second and tell you that, that what you already know our text is Revelation 20. The title, as I've also already said, is Millennium, a thousand years. Millennium, a thousand years. Under this point number one, let me say this. The defeat and destruction of key enemies is pictured here with really a great deal of ease. The first thing that we're noticing this morning in the Word of God, the first thing that I want us to see in the Bible is that the defeat, listen, listen, the defeat and destruction of key enemies Powerful, in some sense, even awesome enemies is is shown here to be carried out with relative ease. These are real enemies. And it's almost as though John's telling us it, it doesn't take anything. Do you see? For them to be defeated. Example number one. The devil was thrown into the lake of fire. Look at that again in verse 10. The devil who had dece- deceived them, I said the emphasis that I'm putting for now there is thrown into the lake of fire. Obviously, he did not do that to himself. Obviously, it had to be one more powerful. We could see, You could say that the devil was a strong man. You could call the devil a strong man, but there's one who is stronger than the strong man, apparently, Because he was passive, the language is passive, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Example number two. Example number two, and again, what is this an example of? It's an example of the the seeming and, and relative ease which with these enemies are defeated. They're defeated pretty easily. Verse nine. Verse 9, this is a, a military picture. It's, it's massive. It's awesome. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Nah. Don't mean to be a bit disrespectful, but, eh, but, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Do you see? You see what's going on here? Well, example. Number three, look at the end of chapter 19. Look at 19, 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And it's almost anticlimactic. Verse 20, and the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image, Revelation nineteen twenty. these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him. I mean, this is a massive army. This is nothing to trifle with. And again, the defeat and destruction of key enemies happens with great ease. There's three examples. There's one more example. Look at uh, chapter 20. This is the key example. This is our primary text. This is the key example. It's in verse 2. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent. Now, if you don't know, you might think who do you think verse 2 is talking about? He sees the dragon. You see that there? He, who is that? God? Well, it could be the Lord Jesus. It's just just an angel, friends. It's just an angel. It's not even God. He sees the dragon, the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. I mean, if an angel can do that, then it must not mean that Satan is God's opposite. It shows here, I've just given you four different quick examples of how The Bible shows us that these key enemies, these real enemies, these powerful enemies are really not that powerful. They are defeated with ease at the end of the day. And you have to remember, uh, those who were receiving this originally, what an encouragement. And what an encouragement it should be to us as well. Well, so what, we ask? We may rightly ask. So, what? Christian, it is okay that you and I are not sovereign. Christian, it is okay that you and I are not in control, at least not in any ultimate sense. Let's be clear on that. You and I are not in control in any type of ultimate sense. And it is okay because God is. Well, God is what? Because God is in control, because he is sovereign. Well, number two, and I have two things before we get to the main thing, which is the millennium. The first is that the devil was thrown into the lake of fire. And now I want to put emphasis on that phrase, the lake of fire. So, notice this with me. The devil was thrown into the what? Into the lake of fire. Now, these are, these are big and glorious realities. There are things here that may, yes, yes they may be hard to understand, but don't miss what is plain. I've told you before what Alistair Begg says is really helpful. The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. The plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. The lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. The lake of fire is the second death. You'll see that in just a moment. Don't take my word for it. And it involves torment, night and day, forever and ever. Can I say that again? The lake of fire, that's point number two today, is the second death. And what's the lake of fire all about? It involves torment, night and day, Forever and ever. I don't know if any of you have ever heard this saying. I think it's really helpful. I hope I can get it right. Those who are born twice, and I want you to listen to me, especially if you're here this morning as an unbeliever, we are glad you're here. Those who are born twice only die once. You ever heard that before? And those who are born only once end up dying twice. If you're born twice, if you're born physically, it's Mother's Day. If you're born twice, once physically and then once after that spiritually, John chapter 3, you must be born again, right? Just I mean, just think about the language. You must be born again, Jesus and Nicodemus. If you are born twice, then you only die once. And my friend, my Christian brother and sister, you never have to fear the second death. The second death is not for you. Because, Revel- uh, not Revelation, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore, what? Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Saints die, but they die once. Because they have been born twice. Unbelievers, listen to me. Oh, that today would be the day of your salvation through Jesus Christ if you are not born again. But the truth, the fact about unbelievers is that they are only born once. And so you will die twice. You will die Once the way we typically think about that, and then we will you will die a second time, which is an eternal death, which is a spiritual. Do you see? I cannot make you see. I pray that you see. It's not the it's not the cute quote that matters. It's the truth behind it. That if you have only been born once, my friend, then you have two deaths to face. And certainly the second of those will not be a happy prospect at all. Not at all. He's thrown into the lake of fire. Notice this very uh, very quickly with, with me. Notice this again in Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. Do you see it? You might just mark it, even just mentally. Where was the devil thrown? He was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur that's one example. Look at verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the what? Into the lake of fire. Notice what it says there. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So lake of fire, the devil is thrown there. Death and Hades are thrown there. We're told also in verse 14, it's the second death, the lake of fire. I've got a third example for you. It's in verse 20 again of chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 20, notice it. The beast was captured and with it, the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. These two, okay, remember, we've already talked about the devil. We've talked about death and Hades. Who are we talking about here? The beast and the false prophet. You know, right, that there's an unholy trinity. There's a false trinity. Our God is one God in three persons. There's also a false trinity who is Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. And in 1920, the word of God says, these were thrown, and remember, it's with ease because it's God that we're talking about. These were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And there's one final example, and you need to pay special attention to this one. Chapter 20, verse 15. I put this last intentionally. Verse 15 of chapter 20. Oh, this is sobering. This is, it is sobering. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Again, I know we jumped around, but that was on purpose. The devil thrown into the lake of fire. Death and Hades thrown into the lake of fire the beast and the false prophet thrown into the lake of fire. And then everyone, no, 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 not everyone, praise God because of the book of life, because of grace, because of Jesus Christ, because of the cross, because of the blood of Christ, because of the resurrection of Christ, because Jesus, 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 not everyone, but everyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, again, we ask, rightly, so what? And I would just say hell is real. Judgment is real. Satan is real. God is in control. God is in control over all things, A-L-L, all three letters in all caps. God is in control over all things, God, listen to me, God has every right to judge us. You know this passage is about a thousand years, and you talk about you know premillennialism, and amillennialism, post millennialism. You know what this passage is about today? This passage is about judgment. If you really boil it down, that's your key word right there judgment. The judgment of all people and the judgment of Satan. That's how I see it. I think that's faithful to the text. That's, that's, what the, that's the warp and woof of this baby today. The judgment. The judgment of all people and the judgment of Satan. I'll say it again, my friend. Hell is real. Judgment is real. Satan is real. God has every right to judge us. And this is where things get interesting and Beautiful. This is where, to me, things get interesting and beautiful. It's the thousand years. The thousand years. That's the third and final thing today, and we want to notice this. Look at chapter 20, verse 1. I will keep repeating myself, this is beautiful. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And verse 2 of Revelation chapter 20, he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Just notice the repetition, please. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until, what's the duration, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. It's, it's graphic language. It's not meant to be overly graphic, but it's, a, it's an axe to the head, an axe to the, necks, to the neck. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, because he's so precious and he's so wonderful and he's so worthy. And those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ. And there it is again for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. We just can't get, can't get past Easter, can we? Because it's all over the Bible. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. If you are in Jesus Christ today, you are as safe as ever. But they will be what? They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And so, what do you say? What do we say, for a few minutes at least, about this passage, verses 1 through 6? Well, one thing that we say is, as we just read, that this phrase, a thousand years, is repeated over and over and over again, right? I think it's six or seven uh, times here, especially if you include verse 7. That's something simple that we should not take for granted this phrase, thousand years, it's almost every verse. So it's been pointed out before, rightly, that this is the only place in the Bible. And when you get into the disagreements about these things, the people on this side will say, hey, this is the only place in the Bible that mentions the thousand years. That's true. And and in, in the only place in the Bible where the millennium is talked about, it talks about it a lot. It talks about it over and over, and over again. The way that I like to approach this passage in verses one through six is what I'm talking about. What does this mean? What what is this talking about? What is this thousand years? It's really just trying to keep it really simple this morning. What's this thousand years about? Well, I I like to begin with verse seven. Notice this with me. Hear the word of God for us today. Yes, even for us here, upon whom the end of the ages have come in 2022. Verse 7 says, When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. You see there in the context, Satan's gathering from the nations. You go to the beach and you pick up sand and it's got just thousands upon thousands of tiny individual grains. And he deceives these nations and it's like the sand of the sea. But that's not what I want to talk about right now. Because if you just look at verses seven and eight, and if you start there, then it helps you to begin to understand the meaning. It helps you to understand, listen, that verses seven through 10 is when Satan is finally and ultimately defeated. And so what verses one through six is about, this thousand year thing, what that's about is the what you could call the inaugural judgment of Satan. Satan's put in prison, or if you like, the abyss. Remember, the angel opens the abyss and throws Satan in there. You could compare that to Revelation chapter nine, by the way. But this is Satan put in prison, And then in 7 through 10, it's not prison anymore, it's where? Remember, it's the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So if you notice again, verses 7 and 8, when the thousand years are ended, he'll be released from his prison. He'll come out to deceive the nations, which shoots you right back to verses 1 through 3. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Maybe even picture this, boys and girls, in your mind. Holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. A terribly insufficient illustration, I think. Terribly insufficient is, you know, you go to the the gas station. It's not a nice clean sheets, but it's a a more crummy gas station. You have a bathroom? Yeah, the bathroom's around back. Let me give you the key that has this humongous thing hanging on it. And you can go around there and use the bathroom. Well, that's a terribly pitiful illustration of this. Because we're talking about eternal realities here, right? He's holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit. Again, later on you can compare this to chapter 9 when he actually releases something from the bottomless pit. It's the abyss. It's the pit. And a great chain, verse 2. And he sees the dragon... Who sees the dragon? The angel, remember? Who is the dragon? That ancient serpent. Who is the devil and Satan? What does ancient serpent tell you? Genesis chapter 3 and 4, right? Who is the devil and Satan? What does that tell you? He's a slanderer. He's an accuser. But the Lord Jesus Christ stands in the stead of his people. He's the ancient foe. He's a slander. He's the accuser of the brethren. And his doom is sure. His doom is sure. And bound him for a thousand years. Now, let me tell you something very clearly. What you see at the end of the book of Revelation, what you could call Armageddon or something like that, the number one victory of God is not here. The number one victory of God is at the cross of Christ. The number one victory is when the Lord Jesus Christ Crushed the head of the ancient serpent on the cross. And so what we know is that God wins. In the end, the Lord Jesus Christ has victory and God wins. Or you could say in the end, the Lord comes to do the mop-up work. He comes to do the mop-up work because the work is done at the cross. The book of Revelation is in some ways mysterious, but the book of Revelation is Revelation 4 and 5. It's the blood of the Lamb. You must bow the knee before King Jesus because he died, and on the cross, that's his throne, that's his royal scepter, that's the victory of God, is at the cross. Nevertheless, nevertheless, we read about this mop-up work. Verse 3, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while because, well, because God's in control of everything and the language is not throw throwaway language when it says after that he must be released because it's part of God's plan. He's God's Satan. And so I say again that verses 1 through 6 is Satan thrown in prison. Or to be technically correct, the pit or the abyss. And then 7 through 10 is the final defeat of Satan. But this passage is about judgment and it's not only the judgment of Satan. Would you look very briefly with me at verses 11 through 15? And my hope is that every true believer in here, this would be encouraged by this 11 through 15. And that if you're not a believer, you would not be overwhelmed, but that you would think soberly. And that this word of God would even lead you to repentance today. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. Verse 12 of Revelation 20, standing before the throne and books were open, And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. You're going to stand before God one day. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I believe that verses 11 through 15 teaches that every single person in the history of the world, listen to me, every person going back to Adam will stand before the great God in his great courtroom and there's books there and the evaluation will be based on your deeds. And praise God for Christians, it's based on the fact that your name was written in the book of life before the foundation of the world based on the blood shed by Jesus Christ. That's why Christians walk in good deeds. Are you walking in good deeds, Christian? That's what it means to be a Christian because God created you. That's the big capital D, big good deed so that you would walk in good deeds. We see here this whole thing. This whole thing is about judgment. The judgment of all people. The judgment of Satan. Satan put in prison for a thousand years, and we're told ahead of time. We're told ahead of time that he's going to be released. You see, in verse 3, we we're advance warning going to be released for a brief time. And then you remember verses seven through 10, he marshals an awesome army and they march up over the plains and then fire comes down from heaven. Indeed, how great is our God? How great is our God? Can I share with you something that I wrote? You've been very attentive Um, you might or might not know that Revelation 21 through 6 is sometimes considered controversial. I actually think that's a shame. This is beautiful. The Word of God should be read in church. Christians should read the Word of God. At the very least, no, verses 1 through 6. If we focus too much on the fact, well, this has created controversy, well, we're, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, Jesus is coming again. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Our desire as a church is not to divide over views of the end times, over views, for example, of the millennium. Not because it's unimportant. Every view can't be right. Not because it's unimportant, but that's not our... In fact, not only do we desire not to divide as a church over very specific end times views, keep the main thing, the main thing, Jesus is coming again. But let me say this, you have four elders here at Crossway. You have four elders here at Crossway. At, at the end of this message, I'm gonna have Pastor Ray come up. We're gonna present him this book by John MacArthur because it no, it's a total joke. But listen, you have four elders here at Crossway. If I shared, which I'm not ashamed to do in any way, and I'm do it for a minute, but I'll come talk to me afterwards. If I shared my specific views on these things, specifically the millennium, then at least at least two elders might not be happy with me if I shared my specific views as though it was the only view, that is. We we as elders don't see these things exactly the same way. But I would quickly add that in one sense, we have 99% agreement. I, I would really say that because we just have so much to agree on. We just have so much to agree on. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming And he will win the victory. He will perform the mop-up operation. We agree on the resurrection. We agree on the second coming. We agree on the judgment that is to come. We agree on heaven and hell. And we agree that the focus is not ultimately on hell or heaven or the judgment. The focus is on the judge. The focus is on the glory of God and Jesus Christ. And if you widen the lens just a bit, then you get Revelation chapter 21. The new heaven and the new earth. And oh, by the way, if you widen the lens back the other way, then you get Revelation 19.11. The second coming of Jesus. Not the second coming, the coming of Jesus. The return of the King. The return of the King. And my friends, it's beautiful. And it's wonderful. And we had the Lord's Supper last week. And in the second... And in the very end of Revelation chapter 19, it talks about a different supper. The Lord's Supper, we as Christians, Christians are people, eat bread and wine that symbolizes Christ's body broken and his blood shed. The Lord's Supper is Christians, people, eating bread and wine, drinking wine. And there is another supper spoken of here. And this supper is not so pleasant at the end of chapter 19. This is not a supper that is eaten by people. This is a supper, listen, this is supper where people are eaten. You see that? This is a supper where people are eaten by birds. What are you talking about? Well, Revelation 19, 11 through 21 is the coming of the king. End of Revelation 19, Jesus is coming. Revelation 21 new heaven and new earth, new creation, new Jerusalem. Revelation 20, the millennium, the thousand years, the vindication of the people of God, resurrection, judgment, Satan judged. The only proper response is to say, especially for the believer, come Lord Jesus, let us pray together. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, help us. Help us to study. Help us not to be afraid of study. Lord, definitely help us not to be afraid of doctrine, of theology, of truth. We must grow in these things. Lord, help us not to believe that we have to have all of our T's crossed and our I's dotted in order to even read a passage like this. We thank you for this beautiful picture of the thousand years of the reign of Christ We thank you that what we do now in Jesus Christ matters because we will reign with him. Oh God, give us a picture of this glorious beauty and may we run and flee to the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.